Hello, and welcome to the RUF Stanford podcast. RUF Stanford is a ministry that relies 100% on the generosity of donations in order to serve the Stanford community. Feel free to support us by going to give2ruf.org. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Welcome back to RUF. Um, my name's Britton, campus minister. If you're new here, I would love to meet you afterwards. Uh, what we hope on Tuesday nights is that... Um, to give you something worth stopping for. Um, I know you're busy, and there's a lot going on academically, socially, all that kind of stuff. And I hope, and what I think Scripture does for us in coming together and being together as we consider it, is it gives us perspective. It allows us to kind of put all the chaos of life that kind of carries us around and we get jerked around by into perspective. So pray with me now, and then we'll examine uh, this image Jesus gives us so we understand Him. God, we thank you uh, for Jesus, for his patience, for his teaching, for his words. Um, and it's confusing, and there's a lot here, but there are words that offer healing. Uh, and I pray now that you would open up our hearts to understand ourselves, to understand our longings, uh, and to understand you, Father God, and that you would give us peace, and that we would find ourselves in you. So be with us, Holy Spirit, and tend to us. Amen. Amen. Um, so here's the question, kind of opening this up. What is more dangerous? Weakness or incompetence or unwarranted confidence? Right? Weakness or incompetence or unwarranted confidence. And the reason I ask that is actually a lot of times we're kind of impressed by people that are more confident than they should be. We're like, wow, that's kind of like they really believe in themselves. Right? But that's really not the case because what Jesus offers us here is he offers us this image of sheep and a shepherd. And, we, and he's offering it into an agricultural context. They understood what sheep were. Many of them uh, were shepherds and all that kind of stuff. And the thing that you need to know about sheep is that they're completely incompetent. Uh, they are the neediest of, kind of, of all livestock. Uh, they can't feed themselves. Uh, they can't go to a stream or to a lake safely. They actually have a propensity to drown themselves. Their appetite guides them, and they have no sense of their surroundings and their own abilities. So what can happen is they can actually draw up the water, especially running water, uh, into their wool, and it will pull them in. Sheep drown themselves pretty often. Um, and they can't defend themselves. They have nothing to defend themselves with. But my question is, what is dangerous? The fact that they can't feed or drink for themselves or defend themselves or the fact that they so, so persistently believe that they're okay. See what I'm saying? What's more dangerous is not the fact that they're incompetent. It's that they're intensely self-deluded about their incompetence, right? They're like, I got this. I got this. I can go to the stream by myself, right? And that's what's dangerous about sheep. And now you understand that Jesus is not offering us a flattering picture of ourselves, Right? Because we're the sheep in this image. But of course, at the same time, maybe that offends you at first, but this is what we all know is true about ourselves. As we all look composed and charming throughout most of the week on the outside, you're taking care of business and you're getting work done and people think that you're normal, right? Everybody thinks that. And what we all know, and, and many, of you, many of you know me and I've gotten to know several of you, is that we're a mess behind all of that. 
right? There are parts of our history and parts of our personality, and there are incompetencies and weaknesses and, and wounds and addictions and broken things inside of us that we've effectively sealed off the world from seeing, right? But we know behind all of our grades and all of our competence and all of our charm that we're a mess. And we all know this, and that's why, right, the Stanford Duck Syndrome is so prevalent here, right, that we are serene on the surface and frantic underneath it. And what we also know is that doesn't apply simply to our academic life, but it applies to a lot of other aspects of us. And we all know this because here's what we all go through every quarter, right? This quarter, this year, this week, I'm not going to overcommit, right? I'm going to responsibly commit to a kind of a, a, a certain number of things. I'm not going to make myself frantic and be controlled by this high-pressure schedule and the fact that everybody else is doing a ton of things. I'm going to go and enjoy Northern California. I'm going to spend time with friends with this quarter. Uh, I'm going to come to RUF. I'm going to do a small group. I'm going to do some service stuff this quarter, and it's week five, right? And remember that time at the beginning of the quarter when you're like, I'm not going to be that person I am anymore. And what are we now? We're that person... I was last quarter and the quarter before and junior year and sophomore year and freshman year. Freshmen, y'all are still like optimistic and that's great. Run with it. You're, you're going to be somebody different, just, no, but maybe not. Uh, we love you. Please come back to you. Right? It's, I'm not going to enter into this relation. Like, I, I butchered the last relationship. I'm not going to enter into this one the same way. We're not going to be needy and clingy that way. We became codependent. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to spend time with my friends again, and then we find ourselves being the same person we promised we wouldn't be, right? This weekend, I'm not going to do that stuff again. I'm not going to hook up. I'm not going to get trashed. Like, I don't like who I am when I do that. I know there's something wrong with it, but then we're there again, right? This time it's over. No, no more pornography. I'm not going to do that. That's not me. Then we're back there again, right? All right, no more anger. No more sadness. This depression thing, I'm putting it to rest, right? And then we're back there again. I'm not going to let my parents get to me. And then we're back there again. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm not only going to think about myself. I'm going to, I'm going to kind of expand my horizons. And we run into ourselves again. And we all have those things, and it's a collection of things, right? And it's pretty vast if we start to think about it. And we keep convincing ourselves, next time I got this. Right? Our, little, our little points of, of restart that we give ourselves, whether it's the week or the quarter or the year, whatever it is, or a new relationship or a new major or a new class, right? we give ourselves this little restart and we're like, I got it this time. And what's more dangerous than the things that we struggle with is actually our persistent belief, next time I got this. Right? And the reason that sheep need a shepherd is not because they can't take care of themselves, and they definitely can't take care of themselves. But the danger that a sheep poses to itself is that it's so sure that it has it this time, that it can take care of itself. Right? And we keep telling ourselves, I have control over this, this time. Right? And here's, to kind of complete the metaphor, here's, and to continue to go through it, we're just going to examine who the sheep and who's the shepherd. Here's what you have to understand. Wisdom and flourishing, that's what we're all aiming for, Christian or not. These are the, these are the words we're going to use for just kind of like human life lived well and fully. Right? Wisdom and human flourishing don't come when you realize your sheep nature of like, oh, I get it now, like I'm a sheep, I understand my sheep nature, 
and, and I understand my limitations, and then you go out and make better decisions in light of that. If you think the point of this lesson is like, all right, I'm a sheep, I understand that, I have limitations more than I thought, now I understand that, now I'm going to go out into life and I make better decisions. That's still sheep thinking. That's still, I got it. I learned the lesson, now I got it. Right? Wisdom and flourishing. Life comes when you hear and you recognize and trust and rest in a good shepherd. It doesn't come when you go, oh, I understand myself now, I can make better decisions. It comes when you go, oh, Jesus is good. And if our goal is to use God for self-improvement, that never works. But rather, you actually get changed. There actually is transformation in your life when the focus shifts from how do I use religion to change myself, right? This pragmatic view of religion. You stop thinking, how do I use religion to change myself? And you stop and you see, I am loved. And I am cared for. And I am a sheep. And I'm not going to overcome my sheeply nature tomorrow. But what I have is a good shepherd. Not more wisdom because I understand myself. The main thing I have is a good shepherd. In, in Scripture, there's actually three types of sheep described. Not in this passage, but elsewhere in Isaiah 53. We, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned every one of us to his own way. Jesus in Matthew 9 looks at the crowds and says he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. They were sheep without a shepherd. The first type of sheep that show up in Scripture are sheep without a shepherd, going their own way. They have utmost confidence that they can handle things themselves. They look at their vices. They look at the areas of life that control them and threaten to drown them. And they go, I got this. I got this. Now I understand it. I'm not going to drown. Right? That's what we do. We look at the threats in life and the things that are too big for us. Not the small ones. I'm not talking about midterms. I'm talking about fractured families. I'm talking about abuse done to us. I'm talking about depression. I'm talking about addiction. Right? And we're going, no, 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 no. I got this. And when we say that, we are dying. And we think the solution is to become stronger. And Jesus is saying, no, the solution is to find someone stronger. Healing and security doesn't happen when you become the person you keep intending to become. It happens when you find someone stronger who loves you. Sometimes we're sheep without a shepherd. We have nothing. Or we're sheep led by a thief or robber. We see this in the text. Right? What Jesus is talking about in this text specifically is he's talking about false teachers in their context. Uh, People who actually compromised and corrupted the promises of the gospel that Jesus was teaching with legalism. So they'd be like, yeah, yeah, Jesus. But also... This is what the gospel actually says. The gospel says you're loved and accepted by God. Now begin to live differently from a place of security and rest. That's the true gospel. You're accepted and loved by God, by grace, so live differently from a place of security and rest. But what legalism says is you actually have to behave well enough and perform well enough so that you may earn the right to be loved and accepted. And that's what the robbers and the thieves and the teachers do. Because what they, how does he describe what they do to the sheep? They steal and kill and destroy them. And you see that there are thieves and robbers everywhere in our lives. That every area in our life in which acceptance and love is withheld and conditioned upon performance 
Can you see that in those places, life is being stolen from us? We are, our, our humanity is being destroyed, right? The meritocracy of this place and, and the vast ways in which it operates as a meritocracy, it's not just academics, it's all kinds of ways we're trying to perform to be accepted. This is why we're the most anxious people in the world. We have more than anybody else and we're unhappier than anybody else, right? The suicide, if you're not familiar, if you're a freshman, you might not be familiar with the fact that last year in the Bay Area there were a lot of a uh, significant number of high school suicides. And they were all talked about in the context of the pressure to perform. It was brilliant kids who were doing, taking these measures. And what did that pressure to perform do to them? It took their life. It literally took their humanity to the point where they realized, what I have is no longer a life worth living. Right? And it's more than work, it's more than just academics, more than just pressure, it's social life, trying to be someone that's acceptable. We're scared people and false, the false shepherds that we're following promise life and that's precisely what they're stealing from us. Don't you feel like your life is being stolen from you? They're sheep with no shepherd, they're sheep with false shepherds, with thieves and robbers. And then lastly, they're, what we realize what we need is a good shepherd. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And I know my own, and my own know me. And what Jesus is doing all throughout this teaching, we can't get to every verse in here, but we're choosing the major images. Is all throughout His ministry, He's offering us images and metaphors and parables to understand who He is and what we need. And into our mess, what He says is, I know. I know that you can't seem to protect yourself. I know that you can't really take care of yourself. I know that you can't seem to get it together. I know. The, the you that you keep intending to become is not the one Jesus loves. The dumb, sheeply us that can't stand next to water safely, that's the one that Jesus loves. And that's why He says, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the one who protects you. I'm the one who guides you. I'm the, I'm the one who will be with you. I'm the one whose care you're given to. Jesus is the one that does the opposite of thieves and robbers. He doesn't take life from His people. He gives His life for His people. You remember Psalm 23, one of the most well-known passages in the Old Testament. It begins with, The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And what's happening here in John is something that's huge. Something that's eventually going to get him killed. Because when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, to these first century Jews, they all know their Old Testament. And the first hearers knew Jesus was saying, I am God. Jesus is God. Is that like Google Translate for the sermon? Is that... Stop back in. All right. When Jesus identifies as the good shepherd, he is identifying with God as the shepherd in the Old Testament. He's saying, that's me. God, the Father, and I are one. Which he says all throughout John. Jesus is saying, Jesus is God and God is love. And that means that Jesus' coming and his life and his death and his resurrection are how he answers the question, how can I know for sure that God loves me, that Jesus is my good shepherd? And Jesus says you can know this by two things. 
when he talks about his role as shepherd, he keys on two things. And he says, first of all, that his sheep hear his voice. How do you know you're his sheep? You hear his voice. Verse 3, the sheep will hear his voice. Verse 4, they'll know his voice. Verse 16, and those not of his fold. He's speaking to Jews and he's saying, actually, non-Jews are also going to hear him. Sheep of other flocks, they will listen to the voice of Jesus, their shepherd as well, and they will know his voice. Now, this is what he's saying. His sheep are going to respond to his words. You will hear his words, and in his words, you'll begin to sense, I think there's life here. I think there's truth here. That these are the true words. That this is... This is the way things I think we're supposed to be. There's hope. And they begin to become words that you cling to. And they speak louder than all the other words that are coming into our life, all the other promises. And they become the preeminent words for your life. And this means that you actually stop evaluating His words according to the way you think things should be. And all of a sudden, over time, you start to realize you begin to interpret the world according to His words. You evaluate the thoughts of the world your own thoughts and your own words according to this. This becomes the standard. These are the words of your good shepherd that you can trust. You realize these are the words of life. Now, how do you know you're hearing the voice of the shepherd? It's an important question. Because that's one of the key identifiers. My sheep will know me because they're going to know my voice. Well, the first thing is Jesus, all throughout Scripture, promises to speak in Scripture. So we know His Word is here, His words of the Bible. But how do you know that you're not simply intellectually acknowledging that there's like a reasonable system of religion here that you like? Right? But His words are actually becoming a life-giving power. How do you go from saying like, I'm a Christian because... Or, I'm not even sure I'm a Christian, but I intellectually understand this story and I like it a lot, to this story beginning to define and have power over you. Right? Here's how you begin to think and begin to know that you're hearing the voice of the shepherd is you start to hear the promises. You have to encounter his word. You do have to encounter it. You hear the promises that he is the Lamb of God that comes to take away the sin of the world. Jesus doesn't deny that sin exists like we often try to do, right? We, we have to have coping mechanisms for the evil in the world around us. One of them of popular right now is just denying that evil exists, right? But Jesus says, no, no, no there's sin in the world and there's sin in us and he convicts us of sin. You begin to feel guilty about it. Right? Instead of simply trying to deny it. But then he becomes our guilt substitute, right? The lamb that takes away the sin of the world. He takes away our sin. He comes and says, I am the living water. And he says to us, I am the bread of life. And he says to us, for God so loved the world. And it wasn't a generic feeling of love that he was just kind of favorably disposed to us. But his love came in the person of Jesus and came in the action of dying on our behalf. That he came to die the death of forgiveness so that in that act, we can stare at that act all day long and realize two things. Our guilt was carried away and we were loved more than we could ever imagine. And good and true contemplation of the fact that Jesus manifests his love for us in his life and his death and his resurrection of his son eventually leads to this thought. If you just begin to meditate on it, God is saying, I can know his love and be sure of it by staring at the cross. Because if you stare out for a while, this is what happens. You begin to think, if God actually loves me that way, I think I have everything. If God loves me this way, I think this has the capacity to heal everything. 
Everything that threatens to break me, I don't think can break me anymore because I have this kind of love from God. If God loves me, I no longer have to be terrified by guilt. If God has loved me in this way, I no longer have to be terrified by guilt. If God loves me in this way, I think all insecurity is wiped away. I think all social rejection kind of doesn't mean very much when you realize the creator of the universe sent his son to die for you so that you could be with him. You know what that makes? That makes getting snubbed on a weekend just really not hurt much. Right? It takes away social insecurity. If God loves me in this way, failure doesn't destroy me. If God loves me in this way, then I don't think work defines me anymore. And I don't think fear rules over me. And if Jesus is the resurrected Lord and all those who are in Him are with Him and will join Him in the resurrection, death doesn't end me. And if that's all true, doesn't it kind of feel like that kind of wipes away everything that's broken? That maybe this is the only thing that can heal this broken world? Because all our other stuff, our, our anger and our getting drunk and our trying to make grades and trying to make wealth and trying to surround ourselves with people that affirm us, those never really heal anything. They just sedate us from our broken condition for a while. But this love of God thing that's not just a feeling but actually His work of death and resurrection, this forgiveness thing, it begins to sound like I think that's the only true hopeful thing. I'm not sure anything else offers hope. And what we think is, what you may find yourself thinking, this is me at times, this makes too much sense. It seems to be the very thing that I need, and some level I think, if this is the very thing I need, and it really has the capacity to heal all those aspects of my life, then it can't be the true story. Because if I actually had what Christianity offered, it seems to offer everything. Freedom from guilt while not denying it. Acceptance without condition. Hope at change being motivated by being loved instead of hope at change being motivated by fear or failure. Resurrection. The defeat of death. Right? All by grace. Through faith in Jesus. It's a free gift of God. It's too perfect. It can't be right because it answers everything. What if that's precisely why it's right? One pastor told a story of a friend who took an extended season who wasn't a Christian to just say, like, I want to know what Christianity is about. I'm curious. And what he said kind of over after the couple of weeks is he met with this guy and he said, it can't be true because I realize it's exactly what I want. And my friend said, what if that's the proof that it's true? when your heart is starting to recognize that this gospel is actually what you want to be true, you're starting to recognize the voice of your shepherd. And if you want to continue to grow in that rest that comes from knowing his voice, what is necessary is giving time to his words. And the more you do it, the more you have the ability to recognize his voice and ignore the voices of strangers. And the sheep will recognize recognize and give attention to his voice. We know our Good Shepherd by His voice. And then secondly, we know our Good Shepherd by His actions. He talks about us knowing His voice over and over again, but then there's something else He repeats over and over again. I am the Good Shepherd, and this is what I do. Verse 11, I don't destroy like others. I actually lay down my life for my sheep. Other things come along and threaten to take our lives away. Hired hands run away. The Good Shepherd gives His life for the sheep. I lay down my life. Verse 17, verse 18, sheep. At uh, 17 and 18, he continues to repeat, I lay down my life for my sheep. I come to give my life in order to preserve the life of my sheep. 
how do we know he loves us? This is a question I ask and you actually ask me a lot. How can I know? And I don't, again, we're trying to get beyond simply an intellectual understanding of the tenets of the gospel, but into kind of no knowing. How does my heart experience the sureness that God loves me? That's what we want. And that's what God intends. And this is how Jesus preaches to your heart that he loves you. That he's the good shepherd that lays down his life. He's saying, look at what I've done. Do you want to know? So this is what we want. When we think, I want to actually have experiential knowledge and and sureness that God loves me. What we want is what I sometimes call a burrito feeling. Which is, I want this internal like gut thing. Right? I'm like, oh, that's, yeah. Yeah, I feel like God loves me. Right? You know what I'm saying? That's what we all expect, how it comes, that somehow there's this internal, undefinable feeling that's like, yeah, that's the love of God, that was it, that's it. Yeah, I'm sure now, right? (laughs) Jesus is telling you how to know that He loves you, how to be sure. He's saying, look at the cross. You'll know the Good Shepherd because He gives up His life for you. And there is no, love is not assistance, and love is not encouragement, and love is not advice, and love is not affirmation, and love is only sometimes a feeling. The thing love always is, is action. And the, the supreme, highest expression of love is sacrificial action. And there's no reasonable argument, and we can have no confidence that God loves us unless it costs Him something to love us. So when we ask, how can I really be, know, be sure that God loves me? It's by looking at what He gives up for us. Right? You know this, actually, that the sweetest forms of love are sacrifice, right? Parents give up a lot of things in their life for their child. This is what you do when you're a good friend to someone that needs a friend, is you give up a Friday evening, or you give up a study session, or you drive someone to the airport, right? That's a sacrifice. And, you're, and, and friends look back on those things and remember them, right? I remember what they did. That's how you know, is by remembering actions. And Jesus is answering the question, how can I know He loves me? Like, really know? And He's saying, look at the cross. I died there for you. When justice came to make its demands on our life because of our sin, He stood in our place and He paid our price because He loves us. This is what Jesus said earlier in John 5, while we were still helpless and at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though for perhaps for a good man someone will dare even to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We need a good shepherd, because we're sheep. And that's not cool to say at Stanford, because right, this is the most competent population of 18 to 22 year olds in the world. That's what Stanford wants us to believe. And it's not all, it's not all untrue either, right? This is Silicon Valley, y'all are world changers. If anybody has their crap together, it's Stanford students, right? Who are we kidding? We know economically and academic successfulness, success, successfulness is not even a word. I didn't get into Stanford. We know that the forms of success we achieve are not healing us. They're not, it doesn't mean that they're bad, but they're not healing us. They're not doing for us what they, we thought they would do. And what we actually often do is use it as a smokescreen for ourselves and for others to cover the huge not-okayness in here. And in all our strength and our perceived competence, 
we still actually need a good shepherd. I'll close with a, uh, an illustration my friend told me about. He is reading two books. He's reading one about Navy SEALs, while he was also reading one about hospice care nurses. He's just an avid reader. And uh, over the course of reading these two books, he said what was interesting is where these books overlapped. And the place they overlapped was when Navy SEALs were dealing with guys dying in the battlefield and the way they talked about death and kind of dying people's last requests was so similar to the way hospice care nurses talked to people on their deathbed, or talked about people on their deathbed. Because what they demonstrated was these Navy SEALs in the battlefield and then people dying in all kinds of settings at the care of hospice nurses all asked for one thing on their deathbed. Everybody asked for the same thing on their deathbed. It was, please don't leave me. So when men asked for in the field, so people asked for in the bed, please stay with me. And he said the Navy SEAL guy, the, the author of that book, began to explain why they never leave anyone behind, why they guard Navy SEAL's caskets until they're buried. And the reason why they do that is actually not because the bodies need guarding. And it's not for the people who are dead. They do that for the people that are alive, for the Navy SEALs that are alive, so that if and should they face their death one day, they can face their death thinking, when I am dead, someone will continue to be with me. That's why they do it. Everybody wants someone to be with them. I don't know if you paid attention, but the song we sang right before I got up here was asking Jesus to be with us in our death. Sing that song regularly. Because the reality is, is the Navy SEAL standing guard over the casket, is he with him? He's not. Will anybody be with us in death and through death? Will all your scheduling and all of your goals and your to-do lists and your likability and your frenetic pace of life to make something of yourself, will it go into death with you and for you? None of it will. None of it will be with you. Does the Good Shepherd. Yes. We sing that song, Abide With Me, and it's the prayer, Jesus be with me in death. And He is the one who has gone into death already on our behalf. He has broken the hold of death on us. He rose again and He promises that all who are in Him by faith will be with Him. And we think... That's too good to be true because it speaks to all of our darkest fears. And my question is this at the end of the day. What seems more reasonable to you? I think we actually need to apply reason right here. What seems more reasonable to you? The possibility that this story is true, this story that speaks comforts to the darkest, unconquerable fears that seem unanswerable in our life, right? Guilt, loneliness, unlovability, insecurity, and death. We hadn't come up with any answers for those yet. This story seems to speak to all of them really, really well, doesn't it? Is it more reasonable to believe this story that speaks and heals all of those things that we cannot speak to and we can't heal? Or is it more reasonable to think, I'm going to force myself against my human instincts, against everything in me screaming for it, to believe that this physical world is all there is and this life is all there is, that death is not tragic? That evil is not real, that guilt is an illusion, that loneliness is weakness because there is no God. Which one of those two belief systems requires you to deny more of your humanity to believe? What if precisely because you want Christianity to be true is actually a really good reason for you to know that it is? That Jesus is the good shepherd.
Let's pray.